Well, as we continue to go through the current sermon series, Portraits of Faith, you may have guessed by the reading that we're talking about Noah this morning. We are looking at Noah, and I think we have some incredible things to learn from Noah's life. If those, for those of you who are visiting, or maybe you're here for the first time, or you haven't been here for a couple weeks, as we've been going through Hebrews chapter, through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we're stopping on Hebrews chapter 11, and we're taking a character each week from Hebrews chapter 11, and looking at their faith, and we want to imitate their faith. Hebrews chapter, 12, chapter 6, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, both call us to imitate the faith of those who have gone before us. And so what we want to do this summer is look at the faith of those who have gone before us, and we want to imitate their faith so that we would grow up into faithfulness to God. And so this week, we pause on Noah, and there's two primary things that I want us to look at in the life of Noah this morning. I want us to see God's favor and Noah's faith. God's favor and Noah's faith. And we see God's favor right away here in Genesis chapter 6, as that was read for us. If you, we probably know the story of Noah fairly well, right? Most of us, even if you haven't had a lot of church background, you've heard the story. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it as a myth that this guy brought all these animals on a boat to preserve them through this massive flood. And we do believe that this is an actual historical event that happened. It's recorded in the scriptures. It's part of God's rescue plan and redemption plan of the world. It's also part of his judgment of the world. It's part of God's work, his interaction with mankind. And so regardless of what you've believed about the story of Noah or what you believe about it today, I want us to dig into it and see what it reveals for us about God's favor and Noah's faith, which will pull out some application about our own faith with that. So as we look at God's favor, we start there, Genesis chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull out a pew Bible. It's on page 5. And if you don't own a Bible, we encourage you to take that Bible with you. We want everyone's eyes to be in God's word as we go through this so that you know this is his thoughts, his words, his communication, not mine. Genesis chapter 6, it really all starts with God's favor. It starts there with Noah and it starts there with us. Oftentimes what happens when we read stories in scripture and when we read about the man Noah and what well, a temptation, something that, is, that we need to be aware of that can happen as we study certain figures or certain portraits of faith is we start to think, and I will be saying that we are called to imitate these people, right? We are called to imitate these people. But sometimes we put these people up on a pedestal and us as Christians or us pursuing or investigating the Christian life, we, think to, to, we start to think that they're on a pedestal and we could never be like these figures or be like these people who lived out their faith. What we're going to see is that Noah was a fallen sinner in need of God's grace. All of these figures that, we're study, that we'll study are fallen people in need of God's grace. Jesus is the one true man, the only man who didn't sin. And so while we are called to imitate Noah's faith, he's not the ultimate example. He is, an, he is a example, but he's not the ultimate example. And we see that right here in Noah. Sometimes we read verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We read that and we think, Okay, if I want to be like Noah, if I want to be a good person, if I want to be a good Christian, if I want to have a good faith, I need to be a righteous man or woman. I need to be blameless in my generation, and I need to walk with God. Well, sometimes we skip over verse 8. What precedes Noah's characteristics 
is God's favor. Verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And so Noah lived in a cultural day and age where nobody wanted anything to do with God and his ways. It says here in verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of man was evil continually. This is the cultural setting that Noah lived in. The world had abandoned God. They wanted nothing to do with their creator. There was wickedness. And as we read on, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word favor there is is chen. It means grace. God had grace on Noah. Verse 8 comes before verse 9. God had created mankind, and mankind had rebelled against God. Mankind wanted nothing to do with God, and God had to reset his creation. But God found favor with Noah. God had favor with Noah. God showed grace and mercy to Noah. And because of that, God transformed Noah, turning him into, changing him into a man of righteousness and blamelessness. Last week we talked about Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Right here at verse 9, it says that Noah walked with God. Noah wasn't a stand-up citizen, and God chose to redeem mankind because of this one created man who is blameless and righteous. Noah was blameless and righteous because God intervened in Noah's life God intervened in this cultural setting that was rebelling against him, that was kicking against him, that every thought and intent and heart of man was continually evil all the time. God stepped into that. He intervened. He gave Noah favor. That favor produced Noah's faith. That favor produced righteousness and blamelessness. That favor caused Noah to walk with God. So one thing that I want us to be aware of this morning before we look more into Noah's faith is that we need to receive God's favor. If we want to to live a righteous and blameless life, if we want to walk with God, which I'm assuming most of us do here this morning, that's why we're here. We need to pray and ask God to show us his grace. We need to receive the grace that he's shown us in his son, Jesus Christ. We need God's favor. And here, fast forward a bit, we are now in a New Testament era. We are under the new covenant. God has shown his favor for us in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm kind of jumping to the end of the story there, but I don't want to leave you kind of going through this message thinking that you have to be more like Noah. Noah is for us a pointer to Jesus, God's true sign of favor. And so it starts there. Our walk with God, our relationship with God, our faith starts with God showing us favor. That's where it started with Noah. Verse 8, God found, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. He found grace, undeserved favor. It's nothing that Noah did. He didn't bring some good things to the table. And then God said, I guess I'll save mankind. God said, my heart is for mankind I find favor with Noah. I'm going to transform Noah. I'm going to use Noah to save mankind. And so that's, that's the cultural setting of Noah. That's God's favor. And we know the story, right? God, God wiped out mankind from the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family. God called him to build a boat, and he obeyed. Look at verse 22. Verse 11 through 
21 gets, gives us the details of building of the boat. And we're not going to get into that this morning because I don't know how helpful that is for us. Some people will study these things and try and get into all the mechanics of what the boat looked like and how the ark worked. And what I want us to see is the interaction between God and his people. I want us to see what faith looks like, not what faith builds. Okay, and so look at verse 22. After he has the instructions, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. God had favor on Noah, which produced faith. It produced a walk with God, and then Noah had faith. And we see this faith demonstrated and described for us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So let's look at that now. Flip over to Hebrews 11, verse 7, on page 1007. One verse, I'll read it again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And so we know the story, right? God told Noah to build this ark. He sent a great flood. He saved and preserved Noah and his family in this ark, along with two of every kind of unclean animal and seven of every clean kind of animal. And he saved them. This verse here in Hebrews, though, I think it gives us some characteristic of Noah's faith. It's not just about the story in the Old Testament. It's about this interaction, this relationship that Noah had with God that is also there for us. Noah is here for us to imitate. And so as we look at this verse, I found eight realities that helped Noah's life to flourish in his walk with God. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 said that he walked with God much like Enoch. If we desire to have a walk of faith with God, what does that look like? What are the characteristics? What does this relationship with God look like that would produce in us a good fruit of faith? Eight characteristics in this one verse alone in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. So we're going to fly through these. Noah's faith as seen in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. The first one Faith allowed Noah to hear God's voice. Look at the first part of verse 7. By faith, Noah, okay, it's all by faith, God's grace, God's favor on Noah gave him faith in who God was, being warned by God. Faith allowed Noah to hear God's voice. Because he had faith, when he heard Yahweh speaking to him from heaven, he knew that it was God. He was able to trust that it was God. He was able to follow. Faith is a necessary component for us if we long and desire to hear God's voice. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard people say, I just wish that God would speak to me. I just wish that God would talk to me. I want to hear him. Now, Noah had the privilege of hearing God's audible voice. But Noah stood alone in his generation. He was one guy who walked with God alone on an island, and he heard God's audible voice. Most of us, probably none of us, will hear God's audible voice. But do we have faith to hear his voice through his word among his community? While Noah stood alone, we stand in a cloud of witnesses. We stand surrounded by people who have God's word, it's not his audible voice, but it's his written down, communicated voice. It takes faith for us to read this, for us to receive from this, for us to hear God through this. Do you have faith to hear God? Are you listening 
to his word. If you want to live a life, if you want to imitate the faith of Noah, we need to hear God's voice. Noah's life was dependent on hearing the voice of God. Are you listening? Do you have faith to hear? Are you opening God's word? Are you asking him to speak? Are you interacting with other Christians, hoping that God would use the spirit in them to speak truth into your life? Faith also gave Noah an inside, it gave him inside information about future events. I love this, verse 7. So by faith, Noah being warned by God, he heard God, God warned him and he heard it, he had faith to hear, concerning events as yet unseen. Noah's relationship, his walk with God, his faith with God, gave him insider information. God said, Noah, this world is wicked, you've known it, you've been a part of it, I showed you favor. I'm pulling you out of this. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to restart with you. There's going to be a great flood. Go and build an ark. Nobody else had this information. Faith that produces a tight-knit relationship with God, one where we walk with God, it gave Noah, anyway, insider information about future events. Guess what? It also gives us information, insider information about future events. Some of you may get prophetic images or ideas about the future or things that God tells you will come to pass in the future. That is a product, that is a fruit of faith with God. Others of us, we may not get these these prophetic images or words about the future, but guess what? We have a ton of insider information in this book. Do we not? Jesus himself said, you can expect wars and rumors of wars. So I think many of us, we go through life just distraught by the state of the world, but those of us who walk by faith, as we see in the life of Noah, we have insider information for what is to come. Us as Bible-believing Christians with the Holy Spirit in us, people of faith, God has told us what to expect. He has told us that culture will kick against his good ways. He has told us that the world will be filled with wars and rumors of wars. We have insider information. We shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't go our way, when culture changes, when it seems like everyone wants to rebel and reject against God's good ways. We have insider information telling us that that is going to happen more and more as the end draws near. But guess what else, church? We also have insider information Revelation 21, flip there with me. This is the the ultimate insider information we have. Right at the end of your Bible, Revelation 21, one of my favorite passages. Listen to this insider information, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We have insider information. 
when we place our faith, our trust in God, we are able to hear his voice, we are able to believe his future promises. He has told us what to expect. In this world, we will have trials, tribulations, circumstances that test us. But the ultimate piece of insider information is that this future awaits us, a future where there are no more tears, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. As we walk with God, we receive this type of information. We can, we can read it, we can receive from it, and we get our hope. Next thing we see is that Noah's faith enabled him to trust the architect. So back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned, he heard from God concerning events as yet unseen. God gave him insider information about events unseen. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark. Faith allowed Noah to trust God, the architect. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read how God laid out the ark to be built, let's, let's go there. Genesis chapter 6, I'm not going to read all the detailed information, but let's get our eyes on it. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then he goes on to lay out the dimensions and lay out how this thing is to be built. And then verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Noah trusted God, the architect of the ark. He built the ark in the way that God called him to build the ark. Does our faith have a similar characteristic? Do you build your life the way that God calls you to build your life? Do you spend your money the way that God asks you to spend your money? Do you treat people the way that God asks us to treat people? Do you conform yourself to his laws and to his ways, which scripture says are good for human flourishing? Do you trust that what he tells us in this book aligns our life with him for ultimate human flourishing, or do you try and create your own plans? Do we rip out certain pages and say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's really hard. I'm not going to trust God with a sexual ethic because that's really hard. No one culture does that. I'm not going to do sex God's way. Or do you trust the architect? Say, God, as hard as it may be, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to abide by you. I want to walk with you. Noah's faith enabled him to trust God. As God gave him the blueprints, Noah built the ark according to the blueprints. God has given us a blueprint for life in his word. Do you trust him? Will you take him at his word? Leads into the next one, obedience, and these kind of go together. Noah's faith produced unbroken obedience. So he trusted the plans that God had laid out for building the ark. Look back at Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed the ark. Okay, so he trusted God's plans for the ark, and then he did it. God gave him the blueprints. 
Noah looked at it, or heard it, and he said, okay, this is how you've told me to build the ark. I trust your, your architecture. I trust your plans. And now I'm going to go and do it. Can you imagine the type of obedience that it took Noah to build the ark? I mean, the only person who's listening to and following God in the culture. What did the rest of the culture think when this guy started building a boat on dry land? And he said, well, God told me there's going to be a flood and everyone's going to die, so I'm building this boat. Crazy, right? How many of us would turn our back on God's blueprints when we are standing alone and everyone around us thinks that we're crazy? But his faith in God produced an unbroken obedience. Let me ask us this morning, where is our obedience threshold? When does your obedience typically break? I think most of us, we desire to obey God, right? I love that song, Trust and Obey. This is all tied together. We need to trust God, and in our trust of him, we can walk out in obedience of him. I think it's most of our heart's desire to obey God. You probably wouldn't be at church this morning learning about his word, singing songs to him, if he at least didn't have some small internal desire to try and obey God and to walk with him. But we fail at it time and time again. I don't know about you, but I have obedience thresholds. What are yours? When you're tired? When you're stressed? When you're hungry? When you don't have enough money? When you're sexually frustrated? When you want to fit in with a certain group of people? Does your obedience withstand those types of pressures? I mean, when the entire culture is going one way and you feel all alone, Do you conform and go with the culture? Or do you say, God, I'm going to obey your word because I trust that it is better than what my eyes can even see? Noah couldn't see any evidence of rain. That's what we're told in Hebrews 11. Verse 7, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. So Noah, I have to imagine this, this man just felt like God, why are you stringing me out here, making me look like a fool among the rest of the people? I'm building an ark. There's no rain. They think I'm crazy. I feel crazy. Yet he obeyed. Genesis 6, says, he did all that the Lord commanded. Genesis 7, verse 5 says, he did all that the Lord commanded. What's your obedience threshold? Find it. Take a couple minutes and think about what your obedience threshold is. When, when do you throw in the towel? When does obedience to God seem like too much work, too much ridicule, and so you throw in the towel? Think for just a minute and, and write down some trigger points for you. And then as you come up with that list, I want to encourage you to attack that with the promises of God. Okay? If, example, if, if lack of sleep and tiredness and kind of a weary soul is an obedience threshold for you, if you know that you tend to give in to sin and temptation and stop obeying God's commands when you're tired and when you're stressed, claim the promises of God. Jesus says, come to me, all who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Trust the promises of God. Attack your disobedience with God's good word. Don't attack it with moralistic, therapeutic deism, as the term has been subbed by many. Many Christians live our lives with moralistic, therapeutic deism, where we try and do good things to kind of help, um, help us in a therapeutic way deal with our guilt and shame from sin. Don't do that. Attack your disobedience with the truths and the promises of God. If, if your disobedience breaks around sexual identity and sexual frustration, start reading God's word and what it has today to say about sex and trust him with it. If your disobedience breaks with finances, start reading what God has to say about finances and trust him with it. Trust that he will produce in you a greater obedience than you could ever muster up on your own. In Noah, we see that a life of faith, a life that walks God produced unbroken obedience, at least in this circumstance. What I love about Noah is after the flood dissipates and they reestablish their community, I don't know why I love this about Noah, because it makes him real to us. He's drunk and naked in his tent. It's in the Bible. You can read about it later on. He wasn't a perfect model citizen. God gave him unbroken obedience in the building of the ark because he was walking with God, because he had faith. But when Noah took his eyes off of God, and when Noah tried to rest and relax his own way, he ended up drunk and naked in his tent. When we trust God with rest, we don't end up drunk and naked in a tent. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We end up in clothed and in a hammock by a lake. (laughs) Convinced that's where we go. Faith in God produces unbroken obedience. When we are walking with God, when Noah was walking with God, he did the hard thing even though it was hard. Even though he had to go the path alone. Even though the entire culture was going a different way, he remained on the path that God set for him. The next one I see here in Hebrews 11 is that faith in God results in worshipful work. It says that he built the ark. Okay, God warned him about events unseen in reverent fear. That's the key phrase for this. In reverent fear. The words reverent fear are always used of a worshipful response to God in the scriptures. It's respect. It's honor. It's awe. It's often when people fall down on their face in worship of the holy God. When people are humbled and on their knees and lifting their hands to a holy God. Faith in God produces worshipful work. I love this. Noah went about building the ark in reverent fear. He went to work day after day building this boat that people must have thought he was crazy for building in worship. He's chopping down the gopher wood saying, praise you, Lord, I trust you. Maybe internally he's wrestling with like, am I hearing the right voice? I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it though. I trust God and so I'm going to do this. And he's worshiping. As he goes to work day in and day out, Noah is building the ark in reverent fear. What about us? Do we do what God asks us to do with reverent fear? With a worshipful response? Or do we do it begrudgingly? Dragging our feet? Stalling? Questioning? Doubting? The scriptures tell us that Noah's faith caused him to respond to God's call to his work in reverent fear. 
Noah worshipped as he worked. You've probably heard the song, whistle out as you work. Just change it. Worship as you work. Noah went to work day in and day out, doing this impossible, unlikely, odd task as an act of worship to the holy God. So what has God called you to do day in and day out? He has all of you in a certain vocation. Any boat builders here? That'd be really cool. Probably not. Although Lake Minnetonka is close. We're all in different vocations. None of us building boats. But God has put you in that vocation, in that sphere of influence, for you to be a testimony of his grace and his goodness. Do you go to work Monday through Friday worshiping? Do you see that as God's calling on your life or merely a way for you to pay your bills? God doesn't by mistake put us anywhere. God has a plan and a purpose for everything. And so when you go to work tomorrow morning, do you go there with reverent fear constructing whatever God has called you to construct? It's not an ark. No, it was an ark. In reverent fear, he constructed the ark. In reverent fear, build your website. In reverent fear, teach your kids. Or take the summer off because teachers are out now. Woohoo! praise the Lord. In reverent fear... Build your business. In reverent fear, remodel that bathroom. In reverent fear, meet with that person. Counsel that person. Reconcile the spreadsheets. Whatever you do, is it worship unto the Lord? Faith in God produces a reverent fear, a worshipful work. It causes us to see all things through the lens of God's Ways, God's word, and God's will. Another characteristic, his faith saved his family. Okay, in reverent fear, he constructed the ark for the saving of his household. Now, God told Noah who to bring onto the boat. Again, God's favor. God saved Noah and his family. But Noah's faith, his, his trusting of God, and his obedience to God are the practical means by which his family was saved from the flood. So our faith, our trust of God, leading to obedience of God, is a massive part of our family's salvation. Fathers, take this to heart. If you want to see your kids raised in a, in a way that, where they love and follow the Lord... Do you have faith in what you do? Do you follow God's commands? Do you, all the things that precede that it saved his family. God used Noah's faith and obedience to save Noah's family. Men, are we listening to God? Are we following God? Are we leading our families in faith in a way where our children have a fighting chance of being saved because they've seen our example of following the Lord. His faith condemned the world. Keep going. So in reverent fear, he constructed the ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. That one doesn't sound great. These other ones, I think, sound good to us, right? That one, do we want to be somebody who condemns the world? First and second Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So as he was building the ark, somehow he was communicating, or maybe the ark itself communicated to the world God's justice was coming on sin to condemn sinners. 
So Noah's faith, it was condemnation to the world. Here's also what it was. It was a sign to the world of God's compassion. I think compassion and condemnation are two sides of the same coin. Amen? So the world who lived in sin, they were about to be judged and condemned and killed for turning their backs on God. Yet in the midst of that, God is having Noah build an ark and proclaiming God's coming judgment. Great compassion of God. This massive sign in the middle of the culture saying God in his compassion has moved towards his people and he has a plan to save and to redeem. So I think all these tie together as we go to work worshiping God in reverent fear, caring about the salvation of our families, doing what God calls us to do, aligning our life with him, trusting him and obeying him, the world around us feels the condemnation of God. And that's why sometimes when you get around people who want to do their own thing and rebel against God and you're just, you're not trying to like be a Bible thumper and hold Christian, Christian ethics over their head, but they, sometimes they don't want to be around you because they feel this internal condemnation. I think that's what's happening as Noah's building the ark. People are like, I want to do my own thing and this is making me go into a place that I want to go into. Do I believe God? Do I believe there's judgment? Am I walking in his ways? But also it's a sign of compassion. I think as we live our lives in faith with God, walking with him, God mysteriously with this one coin, two sides, people who don't have faith feel both condemned and hopefully they see the compassion of God in us, which gives them an opportunity to be saved. That leads to the very last point, that his faith inherited righteousness. By this, he condemned the world, the building of the ark, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. An heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith allows us to inherit the righteousness of God. An heir means an inheritor. Somebody who received something. So back to the beginning. It wasn't that Noah was a stand-up guy and so God chose to save him. It was that God had favor on Noah and chose to preserve and redeem a people through him. And it's because Noah responded to this that he became an heir of righteousness or that he inherited righteousness. Genesis 6, 9 tells us that he was righteous and blameless. He was righteous and blameless because he inherited it from God the Father. God gave him a good gift. God gave him favor. God gave him grace. And in that, he inherited righteousness. The scriptures tell us over and over again that righteousness comes by faith. And God can only dwell in the midst of righteousness. Noah inherited righteousness through his faith. Those of us gathered here together in this room today, we inherit righteousness through faith. Noah had an incredible inheritance. I mean, he inherited physical and earthly promises. God saved him through the flood. There's a practical thing that he inherited. God gave him land after the flood. God multiplied his family. He gave him physical and earthly promises. But even more importantly, God gave him spiritual and heavenly promises, eternal life. 
God granted to Noah a righteous life because Noah stepped out and trusted God. He trusted and he obeyed. The two are linked. As we trust God, it leads us into an obedient life with God because we believe where he's leading us. We can trust where he goes. Noah inherited righteousness, and if we go on in Hebrews chapter 11 to verse 39 and 40, it says, And all these, these are all the figures that we're going to be looking at, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Noah lived by faith, not by sight. He started building the ark before there was rain. He started building the ark. He, he trusted God and obeyed without, without physical, visible evidence of what God was doing. And he died being saved by God the Father through the flood, but not receiving the ultimate promise, Jesus the Christ. And these, though commended through their faith, Noah had faith, he did not receive what was promised, Jesus Christ. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So we are linked together with Noah. Noah is someone who we are to imitate, those characteristics. That is what faith produces as we fan the gift of faith into flame, as we look at how Noah lived his life, as we pull principles out of how Noah lived his life. That is what God produces in us. But Noah is imperfect apart from us. We are one family with Noah who lived thousands of years ago because Jesus Christ has united us as brothers in the gospel. And Jesus is the true inheritance that we receive. He is the righteousness of God given for us. Church, as we sit here today, we don't have to look at Noah as the ultimate example of who to follow. We can pull principles out from his life. They're here. And pray and ask that God would increase our faith, that he would produce those things in us. But we inherit a righteousness through Jesus the one whom Noah pointed us towards. Noah is a herald of righteousness, a proclaimer of righteousness, one who points us to Jesus the Christ. In Noah, we see that thousands of years ago, God showed compassion on one man while wiping out the masses. In Jesus, we see that today, God shows compassion on the masses by taking out one man. For our sin. That's the great exchange of the gospel. Well, years ago, God saved the one man and killed the many. Now, here today, Jesus is a call to us that God's compassion has moved towards us where he killed one man, Jesus the Christ, punishment for sin. And all of us have a free opportunity to inherit the righteousness of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we really need to grasp from Noah. That God has preserved a people for himself, that he has re redeemed a people for himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and then we're, we're going to respond to the gospel like we always do with communion. There's two stations here and one in the back, and as you feel led, we invite you to the table to remember that Jesus is the one man who took your place. The cracker represents his body broken for you. The blood represents his, the, the cup represents his blood shed for you. 
Jesus is the one man who died in your place that you would never have to. Let's pray and let's respond. God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. As you showed favor to Noah, I ask that you would show your favor to us. As Noah responded to your favor by trusting you, by walking with you, and obeying you, I pray that we would do the same. Lord, we fully believe that you are sovereign and you are good, and yet we are responsible. So I pray that we would consider the truths that we've heard from your word and that we would respond in an appropriate way through the power of your spirit. May the elements, the words that we sing, and the community that we're among now nourish our faith that we would grow up in a Christ-likeness. In Jesus' name, 